Wasn't that great? Did you enjoy that? Oh, me too. Wow. Good to be here today. Uh, just before we pray together and bust the book, a couple things. Uh, next week, we have a very special service planned. Two of our missionaries that we here at MRCC Church are actually sending. Uh, it's our privilege. It's a great privilege and responsibility to play that role with them. But those two sets of missionaries will be with us, Lucas and Jessica Rondi, with their little boy, Benaya. They'll be with us for the last time before their first deployment to Mexico. And they're going to share briefly, then we're going to pray over them. I think our food team's kind of trying to do some things for that, too. So uh, pay attention to our Facebook and website. And is there any announcements on that, Bev, that we need to know right now? Sure. Let's hear it. I'll rep- repeat it out loud. Okay, so there's going to be refreshments, should we call it that? Cool, in honor of Lucas and Jessica as we pray over them and say goodbye to them. Also in that service, Nathan and Larissa Roseman, their two kids, Zoe and Howie, uh, they are in, in the process of preparing to go to Southeast East Asia, and they're going to be sharing slash uh, preaching. I'm not quite exactly sure what Nathan's going to be talking about, but we have heard Nathan preach recently, and I know you'll be blessed and informed and challenged by that. Um, we're going to pray. Um, I don't know. I, I am I'm excited in the Lord this morning, but so concerned for this nation. Um, Yeah. Let's just bring our hearts before the Lord in in all of these things. Father in heaven, you transcend us. Uh, There is nothing that we can look at or imagine or make here on this earth that gives us a clue or comes close to your glory. And yet we tend to be idolaters. And I think our biggest idol most of the time is ourselves. Um, Father, I believe in freedom, both spiritual and physical. I believe in your image that you created in people. And it was tied to intimate and deep relationship with you. And when that was broken, that image went awry. And we see it all around us as people seek to use unrighteousness to solve the problem of unrighteousness and injustice to solve the problem of injustice and violence to solve the problem of violence. Like little children, we react in anger yeah, I'm no better, Lord, because it makes me mad. That's always where I land with things like this. I see people get mad, it makes me mad, and then I realize I'm just like they are. And I need your grace. I need your grace. The only time Jesus got mad, it seems, in the Scripture was when, not when, when he was affronted, but when you, his Heavenly Father, was made a mockery of in the temple 
as people profited like a business off of worship. And uh, that upset him. He defended your honor. Not his own. He never defended himself. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling here. It just upsets me, Lord. And it, I, I pray we're not seeing the death of, our, of these ideals of freedom and individual responsibility and, and uh, creativity. And I, I pray that you'd help us to do our part to live and humbly and to live well in Christ. Um, I know your, your greatest, uh, the greatest government is when Jesus, who is perfect in righteousness and holiness, is enthroned in his kingdom. And until then, we're going to mess it up. But help us to, to, to do our part, to be humble, bold, gentle servants in your kingdom because it's about your kingdom it's not about America but it does hurt our hearts to see it suffering so I pray for the family of George Floyd that you would be their comfort that they would look to you and uh, I pray for the family of these officers Lord Boy, you talk about people hating on you. I can't imagine what they feel right now. They messed up big. I don't know what their hearts were. It it appears not very good, but I pray that and know that only you can bring redemption and something good out of this for them and for this family. And I know it has nothing to do with the color of their skin. Father, we're going to um, look to your word today. I think of our graduates today and uh, from college and from, from high school and not just in this church, but mostly them, Lord. They, are, they face so much, the ideas of this world and uh, the relativism and all that. It's just can be seem overwhelming Um, but I know you desire to speak to them in your still small voice and I pray that even today you would do so and that you give them hearts and eyes and ears to to listen and to hear and to desire to be holy which means a lot of different things but I know one thing it surely means and that is unique unique nobody seems to want to be unique anymore we want to kind of blend in and so we don't make waves with anybody or anything and that is not you. You are utterly holy. You are unique. Um, so much so that we cannot comprehend you except that you sent your son to be one of us to reveal your grace and truth to us. And we will ever, forever worship and be grateful for that because you brought us from death to life in you. I pray that that would be clear and manifest today in, in your word and in the words that um, I have chosen to share in it. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Fill each, each heart. Give us ears to hear. Father, we're going to um, 
join our hearts together now, and we're going to just lift our voices and pray to you as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. we forgive our debt. Deliver us from evil. Power. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you all today. Man, it really is. We have a wonderful tradition at this church of not only honoring our graduates, but also admonishing and encouraging them kind of face to face as we gift them with a a copy of God's Word, the Bible. Now, normally we do that all on the same Sunday, uh, but the pandemic has sort of upended all that as it has a lot of different things. So we're going to preach the message in their honor today. I'm not going to call you guys out. I might point at you a little bit, but anyway, I'm not going to call you out or anything. We're going to preach a message from Proverbs chapter 2 entitled, My Son Slash My Daughter, and we're going to save the admonishing and encouraging and challenging for the end of this month, okay? Bill Brown said this. I love this quotation. He said, you'll never be in the future what you aren't becoming today. I believe for the most part that to be true. For example, if a person says, well, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. But then all that person does is play video games and never writes. Well, guess what? I I think you get my point, right? You'll never be in the future what you aren't becoming today. And it begs this question, what are you becoming today? That's not just for our graduates, that's for every one of you. I don't care if you're eight or you're 80, you're not dead yet. God's got something for you and for your future. What are you becoming today? Not your future, but today. Now, this is, like I said, originally intended to be a message for graduates, but I think it's really powerful, practical, and purposeful for all of us. Graduates, you've probably been asked the question a thousand times this past year, what are you going to do after you graduate? I think I asked, asked Bree that in between songs when we were practicing up here. But what I want to do today is encourage you and challenge you from God's Word, not with the question really of doing, but with the question of being, of, of becoming. You will never be in the future what you aren't becoming today. Notice it doesn't say you will never do in the future what you aren't doing today. So this is about your soul. It's about your eternity, your worship, your destiny. So I want to bring to you five dynamic words, five dynamic qualities based on Proverbs chapter 2 that you desperately need to embrace today to make these qualities descriptive of you, and then you will be successful not just today, but and not just in this life either, but successful forever to the glory of God. And I know, I know that what I share has the power to change your being, your identity, your destiny. You will never be in the future what you aren't becoming today. 
Now, before we read Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1 to 5, which is our text today, and you can all spend some time turning there if you'd like, I'd encourage you to. But I, I want to start out by being really perfectly clear, because this message today is not, oh, you're so great. Uh, you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and be all that you can be, you know, you, you can do it all. It's not that kind of message. And I think that it's important enough to spend a minute on here that I think there are those among our graduates and even among our people here at the church and definitely in the culture that would go by the adjective Christian that really need to understand uh, this truth that we're talking about here more fully because many people think that being a Christian and going to church and being a good citizen they think that that's about resisting that which is bad and choosing the good instead. That's Christian. Listen, because this is the foundation for everything I'm going to say today. Many of you know that Ravi Zacharias passed away this week, right? And if you don't know who, who he was and is, uh, go on YouTube and listen to any message that that he ever shared. He's a Christian apologist and, and just very powerful and very humble in, his, in, in what he had to say. God used him mightily. And in light of his passing, which I didn't know he was that ill, so it really kind of floored me when I heard it. But I listened to an interview. Somebody interviewed, I can't remember who or anything, but I listened to it. And in that, he quoted somebody else. This is not original for, for Ravi. But I, I want to share it with you because it's so simple and true and powerful. He said, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen? Man, if you, if you ever said an amen, if you, knowing Christ is your Savior, that ought to be a good place to do it. Um, not baiting you here. I'm just saying. That's a good one. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And the wisdom of this message can only be dynamically and eternally experienced to the fullest through the victory described for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If someone were to take these principles of this message very seriously and say, you know what, that was awesome, Pastor Jerry, and I'm going to work really hard to live by those and, and by my own efforts and, and for their own success, and they went after that, even if they were remotely successful in, the, in this life, they would lose horribly in the end. That, I think, is what Jesus was alluding to when he asked the penetrating question in Luke 9. He said, what good is it for a man to gain the entire world and yet lose or forfeit his very suke, his self, his soul, his life? So the wisdom and application of what you're about to hear has as its foundation the gospel of Jesus Christ and none other, none other. And the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells a person who repents of his own merits and believes instead on the merits of Christ. That's where we're coming from today. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. I'm going to leave some blanks here so you be ready to fill them in, okay? You ready? You ready? Yeah. Say, I'm ready. ready. All right, we're ready. Here we go. My son, 
if. <laughs> that, was just, that was just a dynamic pause there. Okay. <laughs> you, but I'm, you're on your toes. That's good. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, you're turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find what? Give me the phrase, the knowledge of God. Now, that was fun and funny and stuff, but I hope you heard it. Amen. Most of us probably know that the writer of these words and these commands is, is Solomon. Our conservative theologians make a great case for that. There's some further off that would say it wasn't Solomon, but I, I believe it was. And he, of course, is known in the scripture as the wisest man in the history of the world, which always kind of confused me a little bit because he sure made a mess of some things. So much for human wisdom. But Solomon, of course, was next in line to the throne of his father, King David. And at one point, God came to young Solomon. He told him, Solomon, I'm going to give you whatever you request of me. Well, most of us would think that was a good thing. But Solomon, instead of asking for money or power or fame or beauty, he humbly asked God for a discerning heart. Listen to it, NIV version, 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 7, Solomon says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child. You ever feel that way in life? Kids, graduates, your parents, you look at them, they're adults, and you know, they think they know everything. You know what? If, if, if you could climb into their soul, you would find out that so many times they and most adults feel like a child because we don't know what to do. Amen. I feel that way as your pastor. A lot. And he admits it. That's a pretty good place to be with God. I'm only a little child. I don't know what I don't know how to carry out my duties. Verse nine. So so here's what he asks. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Good start, Solomon. You messed it up later, but that's a pretty good start. So God responds to Solomon's humility and blesses him with every kind of wisdom, including this passage we're looking at today, to his son and by extension to me, to us and to you graduates. By God's spirit, young people, this is more than Solomon's fatherly advice. This is the revelation of God. It's God's word, God's counsel to you graduates at this very special and formative milestone in your life. So Solomon passionately, with the heart of a father, aching for his child's future, he gives counsel to his son. And I, with the heart that aches that you would desire God above all things, I pray this all the time for my grandkids, that they would love Jesus more than this world. And they can't do that on their own. God's got to light that heart 
aflame by his spirit. He's got to save them. That you would desire God above all things of this world, things that you're going to have thrust upon you in this next plateau of your life. And they're going to be things that glitter. They're going to be colorful things, things that promise pleasure and happiness and fame and fortune, but things that in the end bite and sting like venomous creatures. I give you this counsel. In the first word of the five from from God through Solomon to us, I see, first of all, you're probably not going to like this one much, but I love this word. (laughs) Attitude. (laughs) Attitude. Anybody ever told you you got a bad attitude? Yeah, we don't like it very much because usually we we know we should own it. (laughs) Attitude. And what I'm talking about here is attitude toward the word of God specifically. Listen to it. Listen to what Solomon says. My son, if you, what's the word? Accept my words. And what else? Store up my commands within you. Stop right there. Accept my words. Store up my commands. There's, there's, an, there's an attitude here toward the word of God in this passage. And this word is, is something, God's word is something I need to take in. I need to take seriously. I need to accept it. That's how I approach it. This is something I need to keep hold of, to not let go of, to save for later, to store up because I'm going to run into situations and circumstances and people in my future that that I'm going to need to draw upon these truths for guidance. Graduates, everybody, I pray that you would have an attitude of acceptance and see the value of hiding God's word in your heart. You know how rare that is in this day? That the two, when I talk to kids, even in our youth group or Pioneer Club, if they read the Bible at all, they'll say two things. It's boring and I don't understand it. It's boring and I don't understand it. That's not a problem with this book. <laughs> I want you to know that. That's not, that's not a problem with a book. It is alive with God's spirit. I see young people all the time, the thought of memorizing and meditating, thinking on the word, it's like not even a consideration. It's not an option, no way. That would be like hard. What? And yet, I hear people, young people singing word for word the lines from some song on the radio. See, in most cases, I believe that it's not a matter of ability. I think it's a matter of desire. They want this. They don't want that. And that makes it a matter of the heart. And as, as I observe our youth culture today, most don't care a snit about God's word, God's wisdom. There is foolish apathy at best and haughty rejection at worst. And this foul attitude is not something new. It's really quite old. It's quite worn out, really, if you ask me. Remember, I taught for 15 years, uh, teenagers. And we've seen it before. We'll see it again if the Lord tarries. It's what we all are. 
apart from God's grace. In the dark time of the judges of Israel, Judges 21 says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Say, in his own eyes. Say it. That is utter, total selfishness and disregard for others, is it not? It's what's right for me. It's about me. <laughs> Graduates, that, that's, that's the day in which you live. That's the attitude that will press you from every side in this world. You could go home right now, turn on your TV, and see thousands of people across this country doing what they think's right in their own eyes. It's going to press on you. Your world will entice you. Your flesh will rise up demanding to call its own shots. And the evil one will constantly go on saying, hey, is God really sad? Is he? Please, don't ever embrace that. God has spoken. I'm more convinced of it today than ever. He reveals the truth about himself and the truth about you. So please remain humble and sensitive to the wisdom of the word of God. Receive it. Hide his word within your soul. And I think that when I say that, hide it, memorize it, I'm talking about the development of your mind. If you say, well, I can't memorize anything. You can't do that. I bet you know phone numbers and you know a lot of different things that you have memorized. And, and memorization is something in the development of the mind. When you memorize it and think on it and chew on it, you get, you get better at it. You get better at it. It's a discipline. Discipline. Which means it's hard. Hide his word within your soul. Learn to love it. Learn to love it. You're going to need it. So what's the first dynamic word from Proverbs 2.1? What is it? Attitude. And I heard, I think it was Chuck Swindoll years ago. I think it was on Pat. Down the road here, loose road. Pat. Martin. Couldn't think of her last name. On her fridge. Chuck Swindoll, your attitude is the aroma. The aroma of your soul. Thank you. Snotting all over myself up here. First is attitude. Second word is listening. Listening. Can you say listening? I knew you could. Graduates, you live in a day that tells you to promote you. The day the culture tells you you're worth it. Declare yourself. Step up. But I'm telling you now, instead of sell you... My counsel to you is learn to listen. And what I mean by that, let me break it down. Listen to people, and most importantly, listen to God. And that, that's something I, I still am learning to do. Both. Both. Proverbs 2, 2, listen to it. What's the first three words? Turning your ear to wisdom. What's the next three words? Applying your heart to understanding, wisdom, understanding, turning the ear, applying the heart. Young people, listening is more than just using your ears. It involves taking in what you hear into your mind and learning to evaluate it there with God's Spirit as your counselor. Is it true? Is it reliable? Is it real? Is it consistent with what I already know of God from His Word? Graduates, hear me. You, you can't learn 
to listen to God or to the hearts of lost people without giving attention to the Spirit of God speaking through the Word of God. I shudder to think of you young people going out into this world away from your school and your parents if you have a a diminished view of the absolute power and importance of listening to the Word of God in your life. you got to learn to listen to God, to hear God in His Word. He's described as having a still, small voice. God's not going to shout at you. He wants you to pay attention, and paying for anything costs. To pay attention means you can't attend to everything at the same time. You pay to attend to this. You pay the price as everything else. You pay attention. Learn to listen to God, to hear him in his word. And you must learn to listen to people, to hear the heart cry of people. I remember one time a friend of mine came up from Ohio. He'd come to the Lord and we were working together when he was in college. And he came up one time and he wanted, he, he wanted to take me to the mall in Lansing. And we were going to witness to people. Now that is not my deal. I like to get to know people and, and just kind of has it happen, you know relational. He wanted to go down in the mall and just start in. And his boldness, I learned something that day. We would go up to people and begin this conversation. And as long as you had them talking, like nine out of 10 people, as long as, as, long as they could talk about themselves, they were more than happy to tell you about themselves, to talk about me. But as soon as you introduce something other than them (laughs) into the conversation, they were done. They were done. They just drop it and leave. It was like, wow. But that's how, that's one of the ways that, that you earn their trust, is you learn to listen to people, to hear their cry. Because then and only then will you be able to connect the two things, to connect the heart of God and the heart of lost people that you listen to. Then and only then can you become what God has envisioned you to be. Do you know what that is? You know what God has envisioned his children be? 2 Corinthians 5.18, God, here's what he did. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. That means he brought two things that was an abject opposite agreement and brought them together. He reconciled them, put them together, God and you, and gave us something. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's what God's up to. And he has committed to us, his children, that message, the gospel of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Amazing. Listen to me. You can't bring people to understand a relationship with God without you and I listening both to God and to people. The heart of God, the heart of people, and you, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, bringing the word and connecting the two. That's what God left you here for if you know him and there's nothing more important than that. Proverbs 2, 2, turning your heart to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. Listen. What's the first word? Attitude. Attitude. Second. 
listening. The third, they get better. They, get, they just get better and better. Boldness. Boldness. It's right here in the text. I see this character quality. Verse 3. Listen to this. Proverbs 2, 3. Solomon to his son. And if you, what? Call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Insight, understanding, calling out, crying aloud. Have you ever been in a situation in public where someone in your group or company gets a little too loud? And you say, will you be quiet? People are, are, they're like looking over here and you get a little embarrassed by the commotion that that person is causing. They're drawing attention to you in what you perceive to be a negative way. That is the opposite of what I see here. Solomon's not concerned about embarrassment here. He says, son, don't be embarrassed by knowledge and understanding. Be bold in the pursuit of those things. Cry after it. Lift up your voice. It doesn't matter if people notice, if they think you're a weirdo. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they hear you. It doesn't matter if they approve or disapprove. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are too important to lay low, to blend in, and to go with the flow of relativism. Be bold with truth, with Christ. Be bold in the gentle, respectful, humble proclamation of God's grace, mercy, and wisdom. Because God is, is the life giver. He's the life maker. He knows what individuals were created for. He knows how they were designed to live. Don't you ever back down from your pursuit of his knowledge and understanding in this foolish world that's utterly lacking in both. So the third is boldness. Cry after it. Lift up your voice. Be bold. Know who you are and whose you are, for goodness sakes. Be bold. What's the first one? Second. Third. This is is awesome. You ready? It's right there in the text. It's discovery. Say discovery. Discovery. Are you curious at all? Are you creative? Anybody? We have so much to learn, so much to experience of Christ and in bringing Christ to this world. Proverbs 2, 4. Look, look at this. If you, what's the next three words? Look for it. As for silver. And what? Search for it as for hidden treasure. Silver, hidden treasure. Look for it. Search for it. That's discovery. That's discovery. I believe we, as human beings, were put here on this earth to discover. I really believe that. I believe we, for example, as scientists discover how our world and how this universe work, whether they're believers or not, I don't care. Mathematicians, as they uncover the organizing principles by which it operates, as biologists, as they discover the inner workings of the stuff of life and theologians as they dig into and explore the scriptures that reveal God. And as believers, as you and I do soul surgery on people who are seeking answers, you know what? We discover God and his wisdom in all of that. Some of you I've talked to about this a little bit. I believe that when God created us in his image and he said, be fruitful and multiply and what? What else did he say? Fill the earth. I believe if mankind hadn't fallen, that we would have done just that. We would have filled the earth to capacity 
with the glory of God in us as his image bearers, and we would have been smart enough by then. You know what astrobiology is, right? It's, it's the search for planets that are habitable. They, they, they're doing it now. They're looking for other planets and other solar systems that, of course, here's their thought. I bet life evolved over there too. So they're looking for it in the sense of evolution, that life just kind of, voila, happens perchance. But I believe there are, there are habitable planets, and I think they're empty because we fell. But they were intended over time to be filled. As we filled this one, we'd have figured out a way to get to the next one. And then we would have went there and filled that planet to the glory of God. And then when that one was full, we'd have went to the next. And we would have filled the universe with the glory of God in us as image bearers. I think that's why the universe is, as we know it, infinite. Because that's what it was intended for. Well, we kind of muffed that up a little bit. We, we think we're really smart and we're, you know, but I think if we hadn't fallen, we'd be a lot more humble and a lot more intelligent. It's all speculation, but I, God will fill me in when I, when I get there. So Solomon says here, you go find God, son. Guided by his word, you go find him in everything and in every place because his truth is in everything. He upholds everything. Look for his wisdom. Look for his understanding in every phase of your life, whether it be relationships. Is God about relationships? Huh. He knows everything about relationships. His, his, the Godhead is a relationship. How about your field of study, your biology or your science, your math? Notice how I chose those first. Or your engineering or, or whatever. He's all about that. How about your marriage? Does God know anything about marriage? Yeah. Parenting. That's why he calls himself our father. Work ethic, time management, everything. Discover him. Honor him in it all, because his wisdom and understanding are so valuable like hidden treasure. It's such an adventure to discover God in his word and then in life. Do it. Pursue him. Discover him. Don't get so caught up in your physical life that you ignore the sustainer of all physics, because the truth is he is your life. That's the truth. Look at me. He is your life. Whether you believe it or not, he is your life. Glorify him by discovering him in it. I got one more. Attitude. What's the second one? Listening. What's the third one? Fourth one? That might be my favorite. And then the fifth one, you're going to be surprised by this one, is acquisition. Acquisition. Root word is acquire. It means to get. Right? I mean, we live in America, after all. we got to talk about acquisition. The land of the free, the home of the materialistic. We acquire stuff. That's what we do. And he who dies with the most stuff wins. It's kind of the American way. Now, you know that's not what I'm talking about. So when I say acquisition, I'm obviously not talking about going out there and acquiring the stuff of this world that's here today and gone tomorrow. (laughs) When I first began crafting the framework for this message years and years ago, the treasure of our church, 
and a good friend of Bonnie and me had been diagnosed with a malignant mesothelioma. It was lethal. Angie was 43 years old, three kids and a husband. She had a beautiful servant's heart. I don't know in my 20 years if there was a person that was more supportive and encouraging specifically to me in, in ministry things as Angie. If we were going to do something, she was right there to help. Do you think that if she had spent her 43 years pursuing stuff, that that stuff would have sustained her in those last couple months if, if it was even that long? Not a chance. That stuff was largely irrelevant. So I'm talking about acquiring something that will be valuable during this life, at the end of this life, and after this life eternally. And Proverbs 2, 5 tells us what you will acquire with the right attitude and listening and boldness and discovery. Here's what you will acquire. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What kind of acquisition is that? The fear of the Lord. You know what that is? The fear of the Lord is the kind of acquisition that you will know reality. You'll be able to tell what's real from what's not because you will know the score. You won't be deceived. You will realize that God is so awesome and so beautiful and so holy and so pure and so satisfying that it absolutely scares you to death to realize that in your flesh you have the tendency to run away from him. That's the fear of the Lord. I'm so afraid of being blinded and falling away from the one who embodies truth. You'll acquire that kind of wise fear that draws you ever toward God instead of foolishly running away. And you will also acquire an intimate knowledge of God, the God who created you to know and discover him because he wants, he wants to be known by you. And in that knowledge and relationship and experience of God, people, listen to me now, because this is really important. I know I've said that a lot, but it is. That knowledge and relationship and experience of God equals, is, eternal life. That's how Jesus defined eternal life. Eternal life is not, oh, I get to go to heaven after I die. Here's what Jesus said pretty clearly. John 17, 3, NIV, this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Folks, Jesus made that possible by his gift. God invites you to know and experience him in your life. That's what eternal life is. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, Jesus said, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. And read the last four words to me. 
show myself to him, knowing God. It's possible by Christ and what he's done for us to know and experience God because God wants to show himself to you. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My father will love him, will come to him. We will come to him and make our home with him. That is, that's the knowledge of God. I live with him, I experience him in my life, I know him, and that makes every day of my existence of eternal worth and value. Go out and acquire that. You'll never regret that acquisition. The other things you acquire, your degree, your money, your stuff, the respect of people, they laugh at you all the time, they think you're funny. That stuff's here today and gone tomorrow. And gone along with that stuff is the pieces of your soul that you wasted worshiping those things. But if you acquire the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God, and you acquire eternal life with God and eternal reward from his rich and gracious hand, it's what you are made for. It's your purpose. It's why you're alive. We're rounding this out. I know I've been at this a while. So we're bringing it home. You okay? Okay. Sorry for this. Where will you find attitude, listening, boldness, discovery, and acquisition? Where will you find that stuff? Well, you find them, as I'm thinking about I ask myself that. Well, where do you get to? It's in your soul, right? It's, this is internal stuff here. An attitude, a, 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 a listening, and boldness, and, and this, this thing of discovery, and, and this, this is what I'm after, acquisition. They are built within your soul, built into your character. They're woven into the very fabric of your life. But how? <laughs> How's that work? Well, let me first remind you where we began. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. You must be born again. John chapter 3. Once the Spirit of Christ lives in you, that is when he begins by his power to grow you. He commands you to live life two places in his word. I'm summarizing a lot here, but there are two places you do life, and you do it deeply. You do it in the word. So you've got to spend some life and time in the word with his spirit sitting at Jesus' feet, and you've got to do it in the church, in the church, the ecclesia. Graduates, you need that Bible we're going to give you so God's Spirit can speak to you through it. You need to bring it from ink on the page to spiritual life and animation within your soul and out into your life by feeding on the Word of Truth in the presence of the Spirit of Truth. In the Word and in the church, and I don't mean this building, or I don't mean the activity of going to church, I mean living the called out life in the community of the called out ones, living out that call. Church means called out ones. We're called out, we're called together. Now you might say, well, I don't really like church. I don't like the people there. So, 
So, you know, when you were born, if you got siblings, you didn't get to pick those, right? In most cases. You're a family. You don't like me? Get over it. Get to know me. You might like me even less, but at least you know what you don't like. <laughs> Thank you. I knew I'd get an amen before this was over. <laughs> Being in the words hard. It's a discipline. God's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And being in the church is hard. Now, it has some fantastic things to it. Don't get me wrong. I love you people. Okay. Uh, I'm not dissing you at all. Uh, I'm just saying, we, you know, you know what I'm saying. We're people. And people, you know what we're like. The uh, Lord's working on it. So, yeah, we just persevere in it. You need that. So you can stand back and you can say, well, the church I grew up in. Okay, well, come on in and change it. Do it in humility, in grace, in honesty, and in wisdom. Come on in and change it. So many people go to church, but they don't really live out loud the call to be the church. Listen, when you, you, when you honestly, openly, and boldly practice your faith in the presence of other called-out ones, your soul will be softened and molded and broken and remade by God into these characteristics. Attitude. You will have a humble, receiving, hiding-up-in-your-heart attitude toward the Word of God. And listening, you will desire in your heart and you will seek to be better at listening to God and to people inclining your ear and applying your heart and you will be bold boldness you will pursue wisdom and you won't care what anybody thinks of it you will pursue wisdom, crying aloud, lifting up your voice without caring what others think. And discovery, oh my goodness, you will look for God in everything and in every place and you will see him there. And you will search for that which is of supreme, eternal value. And then there's acquisition where you will come to understand the fear of the Lord. You will always be humble because you know your tendency is to run and do easier things. That's the fear of the Lord. I don't want to run away from this. I don't want to wander. And you will find the knowledge of God. If your soul is these things... You will be fruitful. You will love God. You will love truth. You will love people. And in eternity, you will be rewarded beyond your wildest imaginations. Not so much with, here, take this jewel. Here, take this crown. There's some of that. But it's who you will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Like this, forever. You'll find 
yourself in him. Godspeed. Let's pray. Father, give us passion and vision for this wisdom right here. Solomon had it. Man, he cared, and even he fell away. Even he fell away. He fell hard. But that was all part of it. He didn't have the life he needed either. And it, you, were, you were working toward his offspring, toward Jesus. He, he, wasn't, he didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. And he served <laughs> to the point of death. We look forward to the fulfillment of his kingdom when he comes next time. He's not coming to die. He's coming to live with us and rule and reign. And uh, I pray until he comes that we would uh, look after these things. We'd look after these things. Bless these graduates with, let them not plan their future without you and neutral to you, but let you be the, pus- the pursuit of their future. Give them that, and may they be in line with your will in that. Thank you for this time. Use this in every heart. That you, I pray that we hear, heard it, and that you just use it to, to pick out and to destroy the, the things that need to be exited from our souls and minds and hearts and that you would use it to encourage us um, to, to draw near to, by your spirit to your word, your spirit of truth, your word of truth. And uh, we look forward to what you're going to do. Thank you for everyone that's here. I see a lot of visitors here. I thank you for them and pray that you'd use this in their lives. And uh, Lord, we just look forward to loving you and loving people. And in so doing, loving life as you've given it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.